As of August 1992, English football would never be the same, as the inauguration of the FA Premier League propelled the game on these shores into a different stratosphere. 28 years later, Sky Sports subscriptions are pricier than ever. Transfer fees and player wages have leapt out the proverbial test tube, and 49 clubs have competed within the walls of the promised land. Some have yo-yoed, many have burst their banks, and one no longer exists. Our beloved Tottenham Hotspur, however, has not been only present each Premier League season, but was also one of the big five clubs who, in October 1990, met with the managing director of London Weekend Television, Greg Dyke, for initial top-flight breakaway talks. Our representative at the meeting was former chairman Ivan Scholar, while the other four were Everton, Liverpool, Man United and some team from Woolwich. Thank you, as ever, listeners, for tuning in to Why One Spurs, which, as you would have gauged from that opening, has reached the inaugural Premier League campaign in our season-by-season Tottenham Review Series. Matthew Fletcher-Jones, Head of Communications at Sports Marketing Agency Engine Sport, has been headhunted to help myself, Ian Wallace, Simeon Wright and Peter Wright make sense of the overnight change in English football went through in 1992, as well as complete the customary assessment of our team's performance that year. Fletch, great to have you on again. Have you gotten any more bored of lockdown since we last spoke to you? Uh, I think I was born for this, really. I'm uh, thoroughly enjoying uh, not having to get on the tube, not having to suffer the Covent Spurs team too much, and watching a lot of sports docs. Brilliant. Well, any, anything you could recommend for the listeners? Uh, to Spurs fans, if they haven't seen the Greavesy one on yeah, uh, AT Sport, it's uh, yeah, it's a cracking, cracking watch, and so many parallels with kind of other legendary players later on who you know the level of fame he had so young and just the amount of goals he scored yeah really good watch okay interesting that's good peter sim welcome how are you guys in lockdown still good very very hot today <laughs> very hot yeah this this particular room seems to soak up the heat during the day and uh, oh i've got computers going and stuff it's uh 27 <laughs> degrees in here at the moment but it's uh, very right. Just, just, uh, un- just how we like it. Just how we like it. Well, I have to be by the by a pool with a, a very incredibly long drink to. Oh, uh, why, why not? Why not? Ian Walker, Terry Fennick, Jason Cundy, Neil Ruddock, Justin Edinburgh, Paul Allen, Darren Anderson, David Howes, Vinnie Samways, Andy Turner, and Gordon Gordon Jury. That Spurs fans was a starting eleven against Southampton at the Dell on the fifteenth of August, nineteen ninety-two for what was our first match in the new FA Premier League. Peter, Fletch, you'll both remember this revolutionary time in the game. And I'll come to you first, Matt, as our sports marketing expert. What were your thoughts at the time as to what was happening to English football? I think it was kind of inevitable, really. People probably remember the same, but football had fallen a long way, particularly by the 80s and, uh, you know, with kind of hooliganism and obviously... Crowds falling and Heysel and Hillsborough and so on, um, and we even had a stage where you know there was no, you know there was no football on TV at times, and people were watching American football on Channel Four. Yeah, so yeah. post Italia ninety, I think a bit of love came back to football, and I think it was kind of the right way forward really. And I certainly remember being excited about it. Yeah, I agree. Um, Peter, what was your memories of it? 
Yeah, who's, who's goodness and jury? Is that is that an Icelandic um, signing we had? That's <laughs> picked up on your. It was Gordon Jury. Sorry, sorry. I don't know. I picked up on your. I'm actually drinking. Sorry, I'm actually drinking a Cronenberg. Sorry, I'm in my first Cronenberg. Sorry. I thought I thought it was some Icelandic guy that we'd signed. That I didn't know. About. <laughs> That's Goodney Bergson. Sorry. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it just felt. Yeah, it felt like um, pivotal time. Um, like Matt says, it was getting really sort of drab in the eighties. It's like almost like going from black and white to color in a way, in a sense, because as you said, it became very violent. It just became a, not a very pleasant place to be at. You know, be at a game. I don't recall going to that. I may I might have actually gone to a few local Palace games, but the actual things that happened around about eighty nine and. 90 seemed to be like a pivotal time with those stadium disasters. But mm-hmm. you had the 1990 World Cup, which just really tipped everything on its axis. I think Nick, Nick Hornby bought that book out, set around uh, supporting Arsenal or something. Um, and then, you know, after the gazetteers and everything, you had more women at games. And it, it just seemed like there was a product, a product there to be had and something to market. It just, just became like more mainstream mainstream yeah with a little nod, nod to how the americans were marketing their sport that's a great point about there was a product to be had fletch from your sort of world in sports marketing there was a product there do you think sky sort of did well at the start i think they did and it's remarkable if you you know you kind of look at some of the sky presentation around the time they're obviously looking to kind of bring u.s style razzmatazz and they had their cheerleaders and all that type of thing but the kind of mainstays of what they introduced, pre-match chat on a Saturday and Soccer Saturday, Super Sunday, starting hours before the game, and Monday Night Football, are all still there, quite remarkably. And they, they kind of spotted that, you know, as Pete was saying, Italia 90 just changed everything and made everyone remember what they loved about football in these fantastic stadiums and you know, kind of great players and they just kind of spotted the opportunity and, you know, rather than, you know, they obviously won the battle for the TV rights against ITV, but, you know, the big match on a, on a Sunday afternoon on ITV wasn't, you know, anything to get out of bed for and and Sky just kind of packaged it up and, you know, this, this game with what would have been, you know, more than 100 a year's history at that time, and got everyone just to fall a little bit back in love with it, really. I watch a lot of American sports, and so do you. I mean, the, the Monday night football thing was is a big thing in the US, isn't it? Do you think that was a bit of a, a marketing coup by then? I think, yeah, I think it was a kind of a smart move, really, because until then you had, what, one live game a week? Maybe two if yeah. they kind of cut replays in the week? And then to kind of make football on a Monday night a mainstay when... No one is really going out, you know. Even stuff like I think Spurs featured in one of the early ones away at Wimbledon when they were playing at Palace, you know, a ground which would have held about, uh, you know, they would have had about nine thousand people there. But you put it under the floodlights, and you know, there's pyrotechnics on the pitch, and suddenly everyone thinks it's a big thing. Sure. Um, yeah. And Sky did um, did kind of change the game kind of immediately, and the fact that so many of the elements survive until this day show just how kind of smart they were at the time and obviously it was the basis of their business 
most businesses sort of change, don't they? They move with the times. But you're right, they haven't really changed that much, have they? They have changed slightly because they don't have like the, the half-time music they used to have. Um, and they, I think they tried too hard with sexing it up a little bit. But yeah. do you think this is stood the test of time, Pete? Yeah, I mean, clearly we just realise that they're on to a good thing and why change something that's working? Like you said, like the, with the Monday Night Football still being there after all this time, the sort of extended coverage and that kind of stuff that I think Andy Gray and uh, they started sort of bringing a bit of technology into the sort of analysing games. Before that, all we had was kind of like sort of like the double act of Saint and Greavesy sort of like taking a more of a like a irreverent humorous look at the game but uh this was like definitely a a, a change when sky took it up to another level i think i think it's incredible I as think- well that, that martin tyler's just stayed like he's he stayed as the primary commentator the whole time isn't he? and you know they've, they've suddenly got this catalog of what was it now coming up to 30 years now a catalog of all these iconic commentaries and all these iconic moments i think that's just helped them build their brand up and I think the brand of Sky in the Premier League is just, it, they're synonymous together, aren't they? Yeah. They had a tagline uh, when they first came in of a whole new ball game. I mean, it's quite clever, isn't it, Sim? Yeah. That's, that's, that's genius because, I mean, you guys talked about how football needed an image change and it was all looking bleak, the, the stadium disasters, the hooliganism. And yeah, a whole new ball game. I mean, it's, it's, it's simple, isn't it? But it's kind of the, it is the rebranding that the game possibly needed. Peter, do you remember the first advert they had? They had um, Simple Minds Alive and Kicking. Matt, do you remember it? I certainly do remember it. And, yeah. uh, Creepy. Look, I watched it this afternoon, Fletch. I think you watched it recently. I, I've, I saw it recently for some reason. That, you know, it's hilarious that, yeah, it's a load of players in showers in the locker room. Together, <laughs> I believe the Spurs player who features is Paul Stewart, who pulls up in like a Porsche in a shell suit and a pair of sunglasses. Wow. Correct. Uh, and then I think, you know, we sold him about six weeks later to Liverpool. But, yeah, um, but then um, Gordon Jury is in the shower, which is quite funny. It's quite homoerotic, I think. They're all in the shower together. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's quite genius, quite, quite <laughs> though. But that backstrop, I mean, uh, you know, Simple Minds, that song was massive then. It really, I sort yeah. of, I always remember in my head, you know, that, that song, I always remember it, associated with Sky Sports, Peter. Quite, do you? quite, quite anthemic as well, to quite a, 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 quite a clever choice to use there. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. But I just, I just want to go from a, like a financial point of view, because that's my world. For me, you know, we, we've done a few acquisitions over the past few years in, in, in our business. And you know, they sort of saw a model, they saw a business which was failing. They bought it, they jazzed it up a bit, they advertised and marketed the product, they sold the product, and then they... You know, they sort of made the product a monopoly, don't you think, Fletch? Is that classic sports marketing? Well, I think a lot of brands would love to be able to achieve what Sky did. But you're right, they took a kind of something which was failing but had a you know, a massive audience. Even with, you know, crowds falling, there were still hundreds of thousands of people going to football every single week. I suppose it's, you know, when you get dodgy buyers of clubs these days when they kind of go well the club are doing crap but if i'm going to get all this guaranteed tv money at the end of the season then it's worth having a bit of a a bit of a gamble on it one thing i will say though is that it felt like not only the changing of era off the pitch i think sky got a little bit lucky with what happened on the pitch as well that season and you know you obviously had 
United winning their first title and so on. Sorry yeah. for that spoiler there for anyone <laughs> not familiar with the football season from '93. A lot of the the older players were kind of disappearing, and you had the emergence of Shearer as a goal scorer. Cantona went to United. Ryan Giggs emerged. The Liverpool Spice Boys were starting to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. There were a lot of kind of narratives which kind of just worked into what is kind of how we consume modern football. And also on the pitch, it was, you know, you look at the league table, it was it was a chaos of a season in the fact that virtually anyone could beat anyone else. Yes. So there was really kind of something for everyone as well. Yeah, it's a really good point. I just want to sort of go back to the actual signing of the contract and all the, you know, we talked about we were one of the big five who were involved in it. I mean, Sugar, Alan Sugar was hugely influential in this because obviously he was in the pocket of Sky because he was selling dishes, which is you know, an ulterior motive. Yeah, I, I think he's sort of done a good job for us, really, because and, and feathered his own nest at the same time, Peter, do you think? Yeah, for sure. You know, he knew what he knew what he was doing. But just, uh, okay, he likes to maybe, maybe give himself a little bit more credit than maybe is due. And he was just happy. He was in the right place at the right time, but he did make astute decisions and gave the advice to um, the Sky people. But Peter, do you think that he possibly, you know, when he first sort of bought Spurs, obviously he bailed us out a little bit, he's a Spurs fan, but do you think in the back of his mind he sort of had this, you know, in his mind? Yeah. Because I mean, he was he was doing the dishes, at the t- uh, selling the dishes at the time as well. Time to do the washing up as well. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> doing the dishes with, with Klinsman's shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's definitely... A little, a little bit of an eye on the uh, prize, yeah? All eyes on the yeah. prize. Seeing an opportunity and uh, being the businessman that he is, you know, acted in a very astute way. It's slightly more exclusive, isn't it? Being being in the hands of Sky from then, and I don't think quite so many people had Sky at the time. I wouldn't imagine they would have done. But it also, I think it ties in well with the kind of the match of the day thing as well. And I just, I'm just wonder how different it could have been if it had gone to ITV, what it would have, what it would have looked like if it had gone yeah. terrestrial. Yeah. And then, and then they were trying to make it terrestrial. I mean, I would say that he had a certain amount of luck, but you know, any successful businessman will tell you the harder I work, the luckier I seem to get. I just want to sort of go on to the attendances in the first season at games. Fletch, I'll come to you obviously, because you know, you're a season holder at Spurs. The average across all teams in the first season, 92-93, was 21,000 across all teams. Obviously, the stadiums are bigger, but the averages for last season was 38,000. I mean, that's a huge difference. And, and my point is, Matt, there was big worries at the time that because there'd be so much on TV that people wouldn't go to the game. So that has actually dispelled that myth, Matt. I think the, to use an awful marketing phrase like we did earlier, the product was you know, still kind of changing and a lot of people had drifted away from the game in the in the seventies and eighties. And I think Italia ninety would have given attendances a bit of a bump, I suspect. But yeah, yeah. you know, there was still a lot of people who had fallen out of love with football. And I think it was still kind of a, a road back and, you know, looking at Spurs' attendances that season, I think, you know, we made a bad start and suddenly you're down to twenty one thousand. Our average attendance in 92-93 was 28,000 roughly. And in 2018-19, 54,000. And I'm sure this season it will possibly be around about the 60-odd thousand mark. I mean, it's a huge difference, isn't it? Yeah, just the whole, it's become this global business. You know, and just kind of the example of 
what we were talking about, I think, before we started about you know whether people were watching the Bundesliga this weekend just to get some football. It wasn't like that in those days. You couldn't see as much. People read papers and so on to kind of get their football news. But the world of consuming football all the time, seven days a week, just didn't exist. You watched the scores. You might have gone out and bought a football pink to get to see read a bit more and read the Sunday papers. And that was it for some people. And I suppose Sky was the start of all of that changing and it becoming the life-controlling behemoth that football is now. Remember, I went to a few games in that season, and Sky done a lot of halftime music. So you used to get used to get bands who were trying to, you know, bravely attempting to plug their latest singles. But I remember the group, The Shaman. I don't know if you, the older guys remember The Shaman. Yeah. They were big Spurs fans, and they, they un- unbelievably were asked to go and plug their first sim- single at Highbury, and they yeah. were massively booed off with chants of "Who are you? Who yeah. are you?" Was there something in the contract to say, you know, to address the problem with attendance why they couldn't screen a three o'clock game was that part of the deal a three o'clock saturday game that is the blackout yeah. yeah it's purely because of like the, the lower league clubs they're sort of thinking if they're showing it there no one's going to go to the lower league clubs for example us lot go to watch dulwich hamlet play if we're not going to watch spurs play and possibly if yeah. spurs were live on tv we wouldn't go and watch dulwich hamlet sure play. yeah I think it had been set in stone before that. There'd been a bit of Friday night football in the 80s, I remember. But yeah, there had. There wasn't, there wasn't much in the way of Saturday evening games. So, yeah, sat, I think it may have even beforehand that Saturdays were sacred and you weren't allowed to put any football on full stop. And, you know, I don't remember Sky putting on Saturday evening games until a fair few years into the deal. And, yeah, long may the 3 p.m., uh, remain sacred. Yeah, and ITV sort of dabbled with doing the highlights show at sort of like 7pm on a Saturday evening, which died a death. Yeah, I do, Peter. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty tragic, wasn't it? I, I just wasn't ready for it. You know, I'd rather wait a little bit or I might be coming home from a game. One last thing on the Premier League before we go on to uh, Spurs' inaugural season was I just want to sort of go simmer back to the half-time things. There was a girl <laughs> called Sonia, who was a British Eurovision runner-up, she uh, sung one of her singles at Highfield Road at halftime and she was jeered so badly with the chant of Get Your for the Lads that she came off in tears. So um, I think Sky learned early doors. So possibly yeah. they are Fletch. There are some bits with was that. Was that Richard Keys and Andy Gray shouting that? Football audiences are very unforgiving. <laughs> can be. Yeah. Can be brutal. Delia Smith, as we all know. Let's sort of go on to our first season in the Premier League. So we finished eighth. Unbelievably, we finished above Arsenal, Chelsea and City. QPR finished above us fifth. And our manager for this season was Livermore, Doug Livermore and Ray Clements. They succeeded Peter Shreve the previous season. who finished 15th. And Terry Venables was the chief executive there. But I think, Peter, can I ask you the question before Sim gives us some stats? Do you think that Venables was pretty much still pulling the strings at this point with Livermore and Clements there? They were kind of like coaches, weren't they, really? I mean, although yeah. they'd been around the game, Clements had been around the game. I think maybe perhaps taking at least, if not pulling the strings, certainly giving a lot of advice, I would have thought, you know, with just like his vast tactical knowledge and know-how. I actually was disappointed at the time that he had sort of metaphorically decided to move upstairs 
because I, I just loved the Venables era of when he was actually in the technical area coaching the team. He's definitely advising him, I reckon. Um, Flex, do you think uh, joint managers work? Because they were, I, I think you might be right, Peter, joint managers, joint coaches, do you think they work? Because remember Liverpool had Roy Evans and Gerard Houllier. I think when we lost to Coventry in 87, didn't they have joint managers? And yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, was Kerbisley joint manager with someone at, at Charlton at the time, or around that period as well? Yeah, I think um, you're right. In those days, I mean, it was arguable that Cluffy was a joint manager for many years. I think it was probably possible in in these days of kind of the big kind of aura and ego around a manager and a coach, probably unlikely to happen. But maybe we could get Potts back as joint manager of Marina. That would that would be unbelievable, (laughs) wouldn't it? That would be unbelievable. Um, Sim, do you want to give us some stats of our transfer players who came in this season? Yeah, just before I do that, it's actually interesting that um, Doug Livermore actually was part of that regime at Liverpool. He was Roy Evans' assistant within the joint manager thing, but he actually stayed on when Julio came in. But Evans was gone by November, but Livermore was actually part of that regime as well. And he walked out with, with Evans at the time. He was Wales' assistant manager as well, I think. Probably around that time, actually. Because uh, probably a couple of years before that, I was on holiday in North Wales with my parents because I would have been... I was doing my GCSEs around this season. And Doug Livermore's sister owns a chip shop in Penmine Mower in, uh, <laughs> uh, just outside Conway in North Wales. And I was in there with my parents, seaside holiday. And she started speaking to me because I had a Spurs shirt on. This would have been a couple of years before. And she was like, oh, my brother's a coach at Spurs. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then she nipped out the back and got me a Spurs shirt. So always have a bit of a soft spot for Doug Livermore. <laughs> ah, interesting. That's interesting. Um, Sim, who were the players we got in, in that summer? Yeah, so it was, a, it was a very busy summer, actually. Some some very notable outgoings and very notable incomings as well. So um, Darren Anderton came in from Portsmouth. He stayed for 12 years. He came in for £1.75 million. Razor Ruddock returned. I think he'd been he'd been with us before, hadn't he, and maybe five yeah. years previously. Yeah, he came in from Southampton for a year before he went off to Liverpool a year later. But yeah, 750000 he came in for. Dean Austin, also a pretty well-serving right-back, came in. From South End, he was quite highly rated at the time. He came for came in for uh, three hundred seventy-five thousand. But the big big deal was for Teddy Sheringham, who'd actually started the season for Nottingham Forest, and he scored the first live Sky Premier League goal for Nottingham Forest against Liverpool in that August. But a week later, he signed for us and for two million. So that was our our big big deal. So we spent about seven seven and a half million that that season. And who who were the big outgoings? Because we had some big outgoings that season. Yeah, huge. So Gary Lineker had scored 28 goals the year before. He went off to um, Nagoya Grampus for two million, the J League. How did you guys feel seeing Lineker go? Was it his time to go, did you think? He dipped his injured toe in the water, didn't he? <laughs> I, 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 that's a really good question, Sim, because I think he was time to go. What do, what do you think, guys? Did you say he scored 28 goals? He scored 28 goals, yeah. Uh, why do you think he was time to go? <laughs> I don't know if his legs had gone a little bit. People forget now, Lineker was famed for being lightning quick. And I don't know if maybe his pace had gone a little bit by then, but you can't really argue with with 28 goals. And also on, on the outgoing side, I suppose because Gazza had had his knee injury and been injured for a year, he only actually really left that summer, didn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good point, Fletch. He yeah. did, yeah, because he pretty much he left straight after the uh, 91 Cup final in theory, but then he didn't actually physically leave till then. You're right. It felt like the loss of the gla- glamour guys, though, when they, they they left. Probably Cluffy's biggest regret was selling him. Apparently, at the time, right? he said, yeah, it's just that. What's your biggest regret in football? He said, letting Edward Sheringham go. Yeah, so well, they went down, didn't they? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was down. his last season, and uh, they went down and missing his goals. Yeah, 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 they did. Um, who who else left? So we had Gaza left, Lineker. Yeah, Gaza went to Lazio for five and a half million. I think Serie A was the top league at this point, wasn't it? And uh, yes. yeah, it's it's interesting. That it seems to have gone a little bit, possibly a little bit full circle there, because for the last few years they've had the same kind of problems with attendances that we were having one day in kind of crumbling stadia and I remember Martin Cloak talking about when he went to the San Siro to see us in 2010-11 and he said it was just he was expecting this like beautiful place and he said it was just all all just crumbling at his feet yeah the San Siro is not that impressive from the inside is it apparently nah it's probably had its time yeah Paul Walsh as well another another striker I think in the year before leaving us, he punched Ray Clemens and a fan in the face. So maybe, I, I, I was Paul Walsh is one of my favourite ever players. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Walsh. I don't know about you, Peter. Yeah, what do you think of Walsh? He was a fantastic player. Yeah, he wore his heart on his sleeve and had a you know he put a shift in, but also had quite a bit of skill as well. I like yeah. him. He was technically a lovely forward, a great yeah. player, possibly ahead of his era. I think Matt, do you remember much of him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose he was coming to the end of his career when he came to us, wasn't he? And he, he yes. always, he was always kind of super sub in a way. I remember as a kid, him scoring loads at Luton, and then obviously he went to, I think he went to Liverpool. Yeah, he did. But because of his size, he was always going to be a bit of a, a second striker in those days, wasn't he? And um, you know, but he always kind of chipped in with goals and came on a sub in the cup final, I think. He did. Also, he was a really good foil for Lineker, actually. He was a really, you know, in, in the season before, I think, he was a really good foil. But as Sim says, a lot of players went out. But you know, we spent about £7.5 in the inaugural season. So you know, Spurs spent quite big when you sort of compare against some of the other teams. I mean, Arsenal spent £4 million, Liverpool £4 million, Blackburn £9 million, Manchester City 500000 Leeds £3 million, Chelsea £3 million, Middlesbrough £3 million, United £3 million. Wimbledon two million. I mean, we spent nearly eight million. So no one could accuse Sugar of not investing at this point, Peter. What do you think? No, I I, I thought at this point, you know, I was quite pleased to see us get Darren Anderson because I think he was quite highly regarded at the time. I think he'd played really well in a semi final for Portsmouth. Seems yeah. to remember he'd kind of really caught the eye. Bit of a coup getting him, and of course Teddy. You know, it's just it, it felt quite quite exciting at the time. I thought, although you know, the loss of Lineker was tempered it a bit. Fletch, how did you sort of feel looking back going into this season, the first season? Yeah, we, we've seen good players, don't you think? I mean, you know, it might be memory might be blurred slightly by the whole kind of sky thing, but it did feel like a bit of a a change into the guard at the club, and we also tried out a lot of young players that year and I think there was a lot of buzz around our youth system obviously a couple of them came good and a few has ever disappeared without trace but it did kind of feel like yeah we've got a couple of big names in but we seem to be going after the kids really and trying to have a kind of new young team 
with kind of limited success in the long run. Yeah. Does anyone think that, you know, Sugar, this might be his third season, I think. Sim, do you think sort of in hindsight that Sugar was learning about football? Because, you know, he had his first couple of seasons. Do you think he was learning that he needed to invest? And he invested like this season. Then in the 90s, he sort of like didn't bother. Do you think that's him, given the experience of uh, what we've been looking back over? Yeah, I mean, I suppose that this maybe is the start of his most, what's the word, prolific? I can't even think of the word period where he was most freely spending and I think it seemed to kind of hit a wall didn't it after the we, we had that we had that real splash in 94 with with Klinsman and and Popescu and, and those guys and then it seemed to bit, hit a bit of a wall didn't it and we've suggested a few times that he got a bit disillusioned and yeah. you know we were playing some decent stuff we were having some solid seasons but we weren't really achieving anything or making Europe and you know I, there's so, there were so many seasons where particularly you Ian have said you know, could have one more push and could we have made Europe? And we never quite made Europe, did we? And maybe he just no. he kind of he didn't want to put that extra bit in that would have got us into Europe. And eventually he just maybe saw it as a bit of a losing game. I just want to, not that I'm really boring and uh, love playing with numbers, but obviously I've got nothing else to do because I'm furloughed. But it, I was doing some stats this afternoon about finishing league, league position finishes. In the 90s, our average league position was 10th. And then between 2000 and 2010, our average league position was ninth. I mean, that says to me there wasn't that much investment. And then suddenly between, you know, I'd say in the last 2010, 2018, our average league position is fourth. What's that saying to us, Peter? It's saying that we've got a really good manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't in think it's investment. I think... Go on, sorry, Peter. In 2013 or 14 or whatever it was, we've got a very good manager who just... Um, Turned turned it all around. I don't know if it's related to spending. I mean, the the signings we made, you know, Teddy ended up top goalscorer, and Anderson had eleven assists, and Teddy had nine assists. I mean, that that was good good business, don't you think, Fletch? It was, yeah. I think um, you know both cracking players. ITV is showing Euro '96 at the moment, and they both obviously ended up playing a a big part in that. It was in a typical Spurs style. Quite a strained season. I think Sheringham scored most of his goals in about seven or eight games in the second half of the season. And Anderton did very well. And obviously, Nicky Barmby emerged as well. It's a season and a period I look back on with um, a certain fondness because it, it felt slightly new in terms of the personnel and you know trying to bring kids in and so on. But it was a typically inconsistent Spurs period as well. Yeah, it was. All got used to in the 90s. And we took some hammerings that season as well. Basically, this was the team based on appearances. Eric the Viking was in goal. Dean Austin at right back. Edinburgh left back, sometimes Van den Howe. Ruddock and Mab centre-back. Paul Allen, Naeem, Vinny, Sedgley or David Howes and Darren Anderton. And then Teddy played up front on his own a lot. I mean, was that a great team at the time, Peter? I don't know if you could use the word great. I was particularly excited about the triumvirate of Barnby, Anderton and Sheringham. Just felt like Ooh. a core. I mean, it just oozed class, those three. And I thought there was much of a muchness around it. So, Sim, can you give us the first few games of the season? We didn't actually start that well, did we, Sim? No, we didn't start well at all. We didn't actually win for the first five. Uh, so, as you said in your intro, the first game was a bore 0-0 draw at Southampton. I mean, it might have been a thriller for all I know, but... 
All I can go by is that this the. It uh, wasn't. <laughs> all I can go by is the two zeros there. So um, yeah, and then our first home game was a two 0 defeat at home to Coventry. Drew two two at home to Palace. Got fun five 0 at Leeds, and then it was, it was a very interesting game in the fifth one. You seem to go Portman Road quite a lot during this time, Ian. Were you yeah. there for the Jason Cundy goal? I was at this game. Yeah, I you was were. at this game. Yeah. All my a lot of my friends support Ipswich, so yeah, I was I was at this game. Yeah, I do remember the goal. That would have been my first Sky game. I think my parents didn't get Sky, much to my annoyance, and it was my GCSE year. I think which could have influenced it. But I remember watching that at some family friends and, uh, yeah, the the famous Cundy goal where he just went to hack through someone and the ball ended <laughs> 60 up in the net. Yeah. It, was, it, was actually, it was actually a tackle, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of in, in our half, I think. Yeah, it was in our half, yeah, definitely. He sighed through someone and took the ball and uh, it sailed 60 yards into the net. Uh, <laughs> In a game where I think they had much the better of us, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we were battered. They, we wasn't. We wasn't very good. They, they were quite. A, they had a lot of energy and they were vibrant that team. But yeah, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting one, Sim. And then what, what did we do then? Yeah, I mean, I just find it weird that Jason Cundy played for us when I hear him nowadays. He's just absolutely despises us, as any Chelsea person would. Cost a great divide, didn't it? Yeah, but yeah. After that, we we did get our first two Premier League wins. Uh, so Sheringham made his debut in the Ipswich game. Didn't score, obviously. He ended one one, but he did score in his home debut. We beat Sheffield United two nil, and then we beat Everton two one. So we got a couple of couple of wins there. And then there's a goal that I always see on Sky. It's kind of like the flagship goal of Ryan Giggs' early career, where he kind of takes the he, he I think he nabs the ball in the edge of the box against us, and he goes around Ian Walker. And that's, yeah. that was in a, a draw against United. He was like really explosive. Fletch, you're obviously uh, being a Welshman. I don't know if you remember that goal. He seemed to pick it up like lovely, took it early and beat a couple of players. It was just a, yeah. you know, he was just fluent, wasn't he? Yeah, it was like his. It was like a mini version of the famous one against the Goons in the cup, where he just kind of picked the ball up and went. And uh, yeah, he was a bit of a revelation that season, wasn't he? As um, you know, probably his emergence along with the. The signing of Cantona was what won them the league from the you know the clasp of the the mighty Norwich City and Aston Villa. Yeah, well, I mean Norwich. I just want to go back to that, Matt. Norwich finished third that season. It's unbelievable, wasn't it? And Villa was second. And the Norwich team is as much famous for that kit they wore that year as uh, anything else. But um, Mark Robbins was banging goals in from the night. But were probably the best team in the country. United kind of emerged at the end with the famous late goals against, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday when Bruce scored headers late on and Fergie ran onto the pitch with kids. But uh, Norwich were probably the best team in the country and and Villa had Daly and Atkinson and a mix of old boys which Ron Atkinson had signed and they just kind of kept on trucking with McGrath and Staunton and, and nearly won the league themselves. I say this pretty much every podcast and I'm boring myself but again Matt said earlier on that everyone beat everyone was this the season we threw some money at it but we could have thrown loads of money at it and who knows what would have happened interestingly uh, that was quite a reasonably strong Sheffield Wednesday noticing that they finished above us just above us was that was that with with Waddle in it did they have Chris Yes, he won player of the season that season. And then did they reach the cup final as well, I think? They did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, Arsenal. yeah that, that was, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That, anybody could really have, you know, beaten anybody. And uh, maybe 
we could have edged in a bit more if we'd pushed the boat out a little bit more. But you could say that about a few seasons, couldn't you? Yeah, but I just, I just, it's a recurring Sorry. theme, and I think story possibly, of our lives. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Sugar possibly was learning about football because football is such a different business to any other business. I think Sugar was learning, but mm. Sim. So we, we sort of got, we had a nice little run after. We just lost the QPR at home 4-1, uh, away, sorry, 4-1, a game I went to, which was very turgid. And then we had a nice little run up until Christmas, didn't we? Up until December, rather. We did, yeah. We beat, it started with a 2-0 win against Liverpool, and Naeem's got a really nice volley in that game, actually. It did, uh, yeah. Yeah, one goal of the month. It, was, it seemed to be straight down the middle, though. Kind of, it might have been a bit of a calamity James moment. We then beat Blackburn 2-0, who were obviously big spenders at the time. Howes and Sheringham got goals in that game. And within that as well was the first of our double against Arsenal, which is actually our only double in the Premier League era against them. We beat them 1-0 at the lane and Paul Allen scored the goal. The classic defeat to Chelsea at home at, at three-point lane. It was actually yeah. Campbell's... We lost 2-1, but it's Campbell's debut. and He, he, um, he actually scored on his debut and it was only, his only appearance of the season. I think he played up front as well. Oh, really? um, I don't know if Did you me? remember that, Flex or Peter. <laughs> I think he played... I might have made that up, but I think he played up front for some reason. Yeah, one of our previous guests sort of alluded to the fact that he is just finding his true position, wasn't he? Stephen Slade mentioned it, saying about yeah, you're played, right. Played with Sol, played him in midfield and stuff like that, and and, and fullback as well. They do play fullback. Do you do you think though, Fletch? This season, you look at this season as the first of the Premier League era. It's pretty much systematic of us in the nineties. Win one, might win two. Suddenly we lose three. We draw one. Do you think that was pretty much a common theme at the time? And why was that, Fletch? Oh well, God, I'm not sure I could tell you. I think the one main problem this season was we conceded sixty-six goals. Which <laughs> all uh, you can you can do you can do the maths on that one, mate. I mean, I think we scored sixty or something, but we lost six a couple of times. We lost five. We could obviously put the ball in the net with Teddy winning top goal scorer that season. It was very typical of that period, although this this season seems to have been ebbed and flowed a lot where we would, you know, that January where we, we lost three on the bounce and I think five in eight or something. Then we won five on the bounce. We seemed to go from one extreme to the other. I mean... What other club could win five on the bounce and then lose six nil to Sheffield United? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean that 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 was a particularly dark days. I just want to go back to your point there, Matt, and to go to Peter with this. I mean, we, we conceded sixty six goals, which is a great point. Oldham, who nearly got relegated, and Middlesbrough were the only other two teams in a division of twenty two conceded more goals. I mean, what does that say about us? Something's going on defensively. Was was Mabs coming to the end of his kind of? Career. Um, I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And Ruddock was was yeah. in there. Fenwick was there sometime. I, yeah, I, I just think that much pace. There is a pace was becoming like you think of the pace in the Man United team. Mabbott, wonderful servant, but I think maybe his powers were waning a little bit. But then you know we played Norwich, who were like up there at the time, going for the title, 9th of April. Spanked the five one at home, Sim. Yeah, absolutely destroyed them. I that I think that pretty much ended there. Their title hopes because Man United had a game in hand, and I was looking at the the table from that particular day, and they fell four points behind. And did they have did they have Rule Fuchs in that team? Yes, yeah, they did, yeah. He was exciting, wasn't he? At that point, he was dynamite that season for them. I think yeah, Norwich were a really good side. Yeah, and they done really well in Europe the season after as well. They just had a real dynamicism to it. 
Man United got the blend absolutely right, spot on, you know, getting Cantona in, but then having these youngsters feeding through. But I think they still had people like Ryan McClare and uh, people like that still there as well. Dennis Irwin. Yeah, they did this two centre-back, Daisy and Dolly, um, Bruce yeah. and Pallister, you know. So the experience was there, but the youngsters were feeding through as well. So you've got to get the blend yeah. right. Yeah, we still got that blend right, and then Sim from like you know after that Norwich thing, I think we lost about four games out of our last seven, I think. But the the, the last game of the season was really rare to play Arsenal away on the last game of the season, and we actually beat them three one. But I just want to caveat it. I don't know if you remember <laughs> Fletch that they did have a cup final the week after, and they rested a lot of players. They made eleven changes. Yeah, yeah, but you know, <laughs> we still beat them. So John Henry, like a youngster, a Scottish youngster. Pete, did you remember him, a striker? Yeah, he looked like one of those Braveheart... Oh, not John Hendry. I'm thinking of the yeah. other one, the Blackburn one. Colin Hendry. No. Colin, I've got to get my Hendry's mixed up. There He's were quite... a lot of youngsters knocking around that season, weren't there? And, like, you know, I know Turner got a few goals, but... I and I think he was even starting at the start of the year, but, again, I can't remember a lot about him, and there was a few, I think, you know, maybe a few in the squad... Like, I remember Scott Houghton was very high-rated and was going to be the next big thing. Kasky, obviously, was a name being knocked around. And it did look like we were trying to invest in youth a little bit. But unfortunately, you know, if only we could have built a team around Sheringham, Barnby and Anderton for for years to come. Yeah, and Fletch, just you, you saying about we're investing in you. I mean, if you, if you look at the squad listings of that season, we had a very bloated squad with lots of youngsters in there. So possibly, I think your point there is correct. I think he really was Sugar. Possibly did have a strategy of youth. We also had a lot of players kind of coming to the end, didn't we? With Mabs, and I suppose you know Vinny was getting on a bit by that stage as well. If we could have just kind of maybe kept it simple over the next few years, but. I suppose we're we're not far away from Aussie coming in and you know us spending a bit of money and going all out attack. You know it was quite an entertaining time and you know looking at the league table we scored sixty and conceded sixty six. We weren't a dull team that year by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I think it did set the tone for the rest of the nineties really and just the the inconsistency we had. FA Cups in. Yeah, we had a nice little run in the FA Cup. If you want to take us through the early rounds up to Man City. So in the third round, we played a, a team and a place that I've literally never heard of. Marlow. <laughs> I didn't know that. I've never heard of a place called Marlow. I've never known a team called Marlow. It's in Berkshire, isn't it? Buckinghamshire. Yeah, it is. Buckingham. It's a lovely place to take a girlfriend, Sim. Is it really? I'll, I'll bear that in I, mind. I, 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 I used to take my wife there when we were younger. It's a very really? idyllic place on the Thames. Riverside, yeah. Yeah. An interesting word on them. Um, yeah, I hadn't, like I said, I hadn't actually heard of the team or the place before. But I was doing a bit of research on them and I found out that their most famous ever player was Cuthbert Ottaway, the first ever England captain who uh, captained us in the first ever officially recognised international match against Scotland in 1872. Probably wearing Sim, old trousers. You are the master <laughs> like, He was a cricketer as well, um, and sadly he died at the age of 27. Really? Yeah. Oh, part of the 27 club. Then. Yeah, but yeah, for England's first ever captain played for Marlowe FC. So we beat Marlowe 5 1. The game should have been away, but it got played at home due to um, police advice. They didn't seem to justify it very well. Um, and they were actually in the Isthmian Premier League. So that's not too bad for them to lose 5-1, actually. It's probably their biggest ever day out. But then we beat Norwich 2-0 away. Uh, Sheringham got both the goals. 
beat Wimbledon 3-2 at home and then we went past Man City 4-2 in the sixth round and Naeem's got a hat-trick in that game. Yeah, I actually went to that game up there. I don't know if you guys remember that game. It was, it was so much violence that day. Moss side was a difficult place to go in those days, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Peter, do you remember the game? I don't, I don't, but I could imagine what it was like in the car parks or trying to get protection yeah. money from the young kids to look after well, your car around Moss side. Well, funny enough, like two about, I think the season before or the two seasons before, me and the lads went up in, I drove up there and they changed the away end for some reason. So one season the away end was this and for this cup game, the away end was the different different end. There was about 7,000 fans up there that day from Spurs and um, yeah, it was just chaotic and I, th- I think Man City was so bad then that they really felt the quarterfinal of the cup and they felt they could possibly beat us and possibly win the cup and yeah suddenly they were sort of getting spanked by us they invaded the pitch twice and then once they invaded the pitch once the Spurs fans all tried to get on the pitch to fight them oh my god it was a a nervy go back to the station I have to admit I remember just as an aside going to a um, game at uh, Aston Villa I think and uh, my brother-in-law he parked the car and he had a dog in the car and uh, these young kids came up and said do you want us to look after your car for you? <laughs> Obviously expecting a bit of money. And he said, well, no, nah, it's okay. I've got a dog in the car. And, and they said, well, does your dog put out fires? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Matt and Peter, and th- this was quite a big thing of the day where you used to go to away games and kids around, you know, as you said, the decaying stadiums. You know, they used to say, I'll oh, look after your car, mister. <laughs> and, and you never used to pay them the money till you got back. So obviously we beat Manchester City in the violence quarter-final and then we had Arsenal in the semi-final. We'd, we beat them two years earlier, obviously, at Wembley 3-1 in a magical day. But then we lost 1-0 there. I mean, Peter, do you remember that? I was there, yeah. I mean, um, Actually, the guy who refereed the Hillsborough disaster, a guy called Ray Lewis, his daughter, yeah. Suzanne, she just was brilliant at getting tickets for things. She got tickets to see Paul McCartney. She got Genesis... She just seemed to be able to get tickets. And she got us tickets for that semi-final. And they got their revenge all too soon for the 91 semi-final, I thought. Yeah, yeah and I think we played well, only... didn't we, Peter? We played yeah. very well in the first half, didn't we? Should have yeah. had a penalty. Yeah, Dixon got sent off, I think, at the end. Um, he did. Nasty piece of work he is, you know. Forget about his personality on TV, you know, on the pitches. Uh, and uh, I remember walking back from Wembley, down Wembley way, and... The Arsenal fans were singing Donkey won the derby because uh, oh, yeah, uh, Tony, remember, Tony yeah. Adams scored the winning goal. Yeah. You talk about football violence. I remember, yeah. obviously, I'd been to the quarter-final up in Manchester. Then I've been, I went to the semi-final as well. And I was walking under the subway um, back to Wembley Park Station and me and my mates were walking, about three of us. And then we saw one of our mates who sports Arsenal above us uh, and he was throwing stuff down on us and spitting at us yeah. and then, then he was waving us at the same time shouting out Wally Kempi which did make me laugh <laughs> but that you know even though he's throwing his spitting at us he still sort of give us a little bit of a wave <laughs> yeah, lovely Charming. lovely yeah the hooligans was still a big part then actually so I think going back to your point of the product was still evolving wasn't it Do you did you sort of find when you started to go into games sort of you know, the early 90s, mid-90s, there was still a lot of hooligans around, wasn't there? There was still a big element of that. And because of post-Hillsborough, I think a lot of the grounds were still being renovated. If you watch any of the kind of clips from that season, you'll see that, you know, that, that Forest game, the first game against Liverpool, like there's a big 
chunk of the ground missing in the corner because they're building it and Old Trafford was being done up. So, you know, the the changes hadn't all kind of fully taken place yet and, you know, there weren't all seater stadia. I suppose the prices hadn't really gone up for years. So, yeah, there was still a big element of that and obviously in the modern era, the average age of a, a fan is kind of closer to my age than a the 19, 20-year-olds who were kind of the mainstays in that day where, uh, you know, a scrap was as much a part of the occasion as what happened on the pitch. Yeah, so that's a great point about the age. I remember sort of being the same sort of age as everyone who was going to football. But now when I go, there just seems a real, you know, mix. The thing that football fans seem to be older, so that's a great point, Fletch. The lowest crowd in that inaugural uh, Premier League season was 3,039 Wimbledon against Everton, 26th of January. Imagine how cold that must have been. In Selhurst Park, which held 26, 27,000. That's unbelievable, isn't it? 3,000 people. No fans, no ground, we used to sing to them. Yeah, <laughs> dark days, dark days. <laughs> Just to wrap up uh, this season, can you sort of take us through uh, a pretty uh, uneventful League Cup campaign? Yeah, we'll try and fly through this in record time. So we went past Brentford 7-3 on aggregate, won the home game 3-1. 4-2 away then we won 1-0 at Man City and then Nottingham Forest knocked us out 2-0 away yeah pretty turgid pretty turgid guys and as we always do can I go around the table and give a two word or three word answer or how would you sum up the season Peter how would you sum up the season consistently inconsistent consistently inconsistent I love that Sim how would you sum it up topsy-turvy yeah I think that's right and Matt how would you sum it up Jason Cundy <laughs> that's brilliant on that note I think we'll wrap up the inaugural Premier League season 1992-93 Matt Fletch been great to have you on again have you enjoyed it yeah I loved it guys thanks for having me lovely to have you and Sim and Peter great to have you on it again hope you uh, keep safe Um, hope you've enjoyed it Peter and Sim Love it, yeah. Thank we'll, you guys, brilliant. We'll have to get Mr. Cundy on here to talk us through his goal. Yeah, he's, he's not worthy. He's not worthy of our show, so we won't bother with that, I don't think. Anyway, guys, thanks. Keep safe, everyone. Cheers. Um, thanks for listening, guys, and tell your friends if you are listening. It really is a great project, and we're going to go back to 1986, 1987, so we're getting there gradually. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Goodbye. Bye. Cheers, guys. Bye.